This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our gospel lesson for today comes from Mark chapter 8, verse 27, to the ninth chapter, verse 1. Listen for the word of God. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great sufferings and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and on the third day rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of them, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, Janine, thank you for welcoming me here today. And uh, uh, yes, I am your committee on ministry liaison, and it's great to be able to come and Uh, become acquainted with you and you with me uh, because uh, this liaison relationship doesn't just end when your interim co-pastors Tim and Scott come. I'll still be your liaison and there to help in any way I can. So uh, that's very nice. And I'm glad to celebrate with you your 275th anniversary. Wow. Praise God that you've been a congregation that long, um, showing the word of God. And today, um, I want to talk about your future. You've been here for 275 years, and hopefully you'll be here a lot longer 
And so as I speak today, I would think about where is God leading you in your next steps, your next chapter of ministry? There's a lot of change going on in our culture. Have you noticed? <laughs> and um, one of the things that we see is how different the church is recognized. When I was growing up in the late 50s and 60s in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, at First Presbyterian Church, it was a steel town. And if you wanted to be somebody, you wanted to be recognized by one of the executives who, of course, attended church at First Presbyterian Church or the Episcopal Church in town. And um, so if you wanted to be noticed, you would get yourself into the ushering pool uh, or teach Sunday school or uh, be a deacon and then maybe you'd be called to be an elder and when you were noticed, maybe you would be promoted at Bethlehem Steel Company. Well, um, that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Um, when I was testing my call to ministry, I went to my pastor and I, and I asked uh, Dr. Ogilvie, uh, how is the church making a difference in our time? So by the time I was testing my call for ministry, it's a late 60s, early 70s. And so I wanted to, wanted to be a part of the change that needed to take place in our world. And I was seeing that at that time uh, as were many others. Um, so I went to him and I said, how is the church making a difference? And Lloyd said, well, here's how it's doing it. We equip people to grow in faith and then they go out and change the world. And then he said, um, and I'll give you an example. I'm one of the people that go out into the world, he said. And he said that he was part of the human rights commission of the city, which was a, a typical steel town. And um, at that time, there, uh, Bethlehem Steel was just beginning to invite executives who were African-American. And uh, however, um, African-Americans could not get a loan at a bank. And he said, that's the difference I made. I helped banks see that they needed to change their policy and be more open, more affirming of who the society was. And, um, and so he, he said, that's the difference we're making as lay people in the world, using our gifts, hearing God call us into ministry in the world. Um, but I believe now that's an anomaly. Um, that people would go to a church to be promoted in a business, isn't it? <laughs> and hasn't the church lost a lot of influence in our time? Here's another example of the influence of the church. When I started out in my ministry in my first call, I was a pastor to youth. And uh, one day when I was sitting in my office, I received a call from the principal of the high school. Now, the principal knew me because I had called the principal and said, could I come one day a week and sit in the lunchroom and just hang out and meet people and talk? And he said, sure. 
So one day, I received a call from him while I was in my office. And the call was about a son or a student who had uh, called in a bomb threat. A bomb threat, and a principal calls me. <laughs> Isn't this a different time? Uh, so the principal called me, and he said, I'd like you to meet with his father and son. They're here in my office, because we tracked them down quickly. We had you know, access to the phone numbers that call in. And so uh, I'd like you to come, and or I'd like them to come to you and, and talk to you uh, and if he will be involved in your youth program, I'll let him off the hook. Now, isn't it a different day? <laughs> that's not, that's not going to happen. And he did. They came in, they talked to me, and I talked about what we did in our ministry of youth. And um, he became one of the most active and dedicated uh, followers of Christ in our youth group. And, uh, but isn't it a different day today? People don't think of the church as a place to call to help, or they don't think of the church as a place um, where they're going to meet people who are influential and will help them uh, to make a difference either in their lives or career. The church has lost influence. And what, what I've seen, I believe, is that we have turned inward as a church, that um, many churches help people grow in faith, but they don't equip people to go out or send them out. And that we, the church, have um, stopped going out of the door as an institution, as a body that makes a difference in the world. Well, I've studied a lot under um, a Methodist minister named Gil Rendell, and he has written um, extensively about this question. And one of his books is called Journey in the Wilderness. And he actually sees the church now as, as on a journey like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, uh, wandering and trying to be faithful and serving um, as they could. And he says he thinks there are three reasons that... Um, Three other reasons, you might say, that people don't come to church to see it as a place that'll help them in their life. He says, well, it's not just the church, it's society. Society has become more secular. Society um, is counting truth as more relative, uh, not valuing science or facts. And people distrust institutions they don't want to be a part of an institution. They want to be individuals acting on their own. Uh, do we see this? I, I believe we do. So it's not just churches turning inward, but it's society, too, that's making a difference uh, with our influence. We are less able to influence our society. Well, Gil Rendell says... Um, as we journey in the wilderness, we need to ask three questions. And these questions are, who are we? What is our purpose? And who is our neighbor? And if we ask and answer those questions, he believes we will be faithful to God's call. God's call on us as believers and as a church. So I asked myself, is this a scriptural 
idea. I mean, is this something that Jesus would teach? And in fact, in our scripture today, we hear Jesus ask these three questions to the people who are following him. Um, he's asking, who are we? Who are you? He's asking, what is our purpose? And who is our neighbor? And this is, this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, this passage, because he's in Caesarea Philippi, known for its worship of other gods. It's right on the northernmost border of the uh, Israelite territory. And so it's as far north as he goes with his disciples. And it's almost like he's uh, turning them around now and saying, we're going to go in a different way. There's a new ministry for us. We've been teaching, we've been healing, we've been driving out demons, but now there's going to be a new ministry for us. So here he is at Caesarea Philippi in this story today. So the first question that he asks them is, who are they? And here's how he does it. Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, Elijah, John the Baptist, you're a great prophet. But then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And that is a question which asks them to say, who are you? What is your identity? What, what are you? And what he wants them to say is that they are his followers. And they do. Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the one sent by God to change this world, to redeem this world. And so that's the first question that he, that he asks them to answer. Who are you? And Peter does uh, for the disciples. And he asks us to think about what's our identity? Who are we as followers of Jesus Christ? Do we put him first in our life? Do we follow him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we put him first? What's our identity? And the same question needs to be asked for the church. What is our identity? Who are our people? What are our resources? What are the gifts of the people in our church that we can give to others? What is our identity? Well, and then he comes to the second question in this text. The second question, as Gil Rendell asks, and that is, what is your purpose, right? So what um, Jesus begins to tell them what his purpose is. And this is the first time he talks about his death on the cross, that he will rise again and he will then be available to all people through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's his purpose. It's, uh, it's not just to stay on earth and enjoy this ministry of teaching, preaching, of, of healing, of driving out demons, of being available to the masses. It's going to involve suffering and death. And so he knows his purpose. He has come. Um, the son of man must undergo great sufferings, he says, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed and after three days rise again. That's his purpose. He has come to give his life as a way for believers to go to heaven. 
And so he's in this way asking the disciples to show their purpose. Will they follow him to that cross? Will they go to the cross too? And Jesus is in his way of showing his purpose, asking us believers, what is our purpose? Do we put Jesus first in our life? Uh, do we show our faith in everything we do and say? Do we, as disciples of Jesus, show the ministry of Jesus Christ in the world? And it's the same with a congregation. A congregation also needs to know, what is our purpose? What is Jesus putting us here to do as a congregation? How are we called and sent disciples in this community? What, what is our purpose? And, um, and that really leads us to the third question, which is who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And here's how Jesus asks that question. He says, are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me? Are you willing to lose your life for me, for the sake of the gospel in the world? So take up your cross is what are we called to do to lift up our neighbor, to suffer for our neighbor, to take time from our busy life for our neighbor in a way that's sacrificial and giving. And I'm excited about the things I've seen you all doing as a congregation. And that's one of the questions that Jesus asks us is, what are we called to do in this community? Whether it's Habitat, whether it's handing out sandwiches to those who are hungry or giving to the Newberry Food Pantry or helping those who are addicted or standing in support with people throughout the world in mission. And those are all ways we take up our cross and we join Jesus in his suffering in the world so that we then show the gospel to the world around us. So these are the three questions Jesus asks in this text. Who are we? What's our purpose? And who's our neighbor? And it's, it's the same for believers in Jesus as we follow him as it is for the congregation. The congregation makes a difference in our world. And one of the changes that I've noticed in my time of ministry is when I talked with my pastor back in 1969 or 70 about what is the call of the congregation? He talked about individuals going out. And now I believe there's more to it because we have, as a church haven't been noticed. We need as a congregation, as a denomination, as people in Christ to go out in the name of our congregation. It's not just as individuals. Yes, we make a difference in the marketplace in our teaching and in our service, but also as a church, Old South Presbyterian Church has clout, it has a building it can invite people to, it has a name and a reputation. And I believe God is calling us as an institution to once again show the world that some institutions 
can be helpful for people to join or be a part of. Because then they see that we make a difference. They see that our changed life means something. They see that the cross we carry is the cross of Jesus. And so we, we take our message and we take our action out into the world as we are followers of Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you in this 275th anniversary is that during this interim time, you'll ask those questions again. It's always a good time to ask those questions. When I was a pastor, I would ask my session every year to once again say, who's God calling us to be? Who's our neighbor who's in need? And during this interim time, the Presbyterian Church, the Presbytery of Northern New England asks you to think about who you are. What is your identity? What's your unique purpose? And then who's a neighbor Christ is leading you to serve? And we have a name for it. It's called a mission study. When we ask that during this time, you take time to answer those questions and join Jesus in his journey in the wilderness to Caesarea Philippi and back towards the cross. Friends, you are the light of the world. And that's what Jesus said to, to all of us. We are the light of the world. And he said, let your light so shine before others that people will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May our light shine so that people come to know Jesus Christ and so that they come and change the world and show the love and justice of God in our time. May it be so for you and me and the church of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.